I will read uh, what we looked at this morning again, though, from verse 14, just so we understand the context in which this, uh, this passage is taking place here today that we're going to look at. So Hosea chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. This is the restoration of Israel as God's uh, essentially divorced bride. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness, and will speak comfort to her. I will give or display her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor as a door of hope, and she shall sing there, as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband, and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer with grain, and with new wine, and with oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth. And I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her for myself for fifteen shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Amen. Well, let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, again, we come before you and we thank you that we can have this this time again on your Lord's Day to worship you together and to examine your word together. And Father, we pray that that now would be a time where we can hear from you through the preaching of the word. And Lord, we know that's only possible when you are here to with your spirit to fill us and to bless each one of us. And we appeal to you, Lord, for the power of the spirit in preaching your word, for the power of the spirit in, in applying it to our hearts. Lord, that you would give us attentiveness and help us to push aside all the distractions of the busy lives that we live and to hear and to, to sit and, and focus and hear what does the Lord have to say to us today. And Father, we ask that if there be any here among us this afternoon who are not in Christ, that the power of the Spirit would work mightily in the hearts and that, and that the sinners would see the Savior in all his glory with his arms open, saying, come unto me, all you labor, and I will give you rest. And that they would flee in faith to the Savior for their salvation. And Father, above all, we ask that you would be glorified here and now. And it's in Christ's name that we ask this. Amen. So for, for those who are not here this morning, just we, we looked at the second half of chapter 2 in Hosea, and God is re restoring Israel, the nation that was his, his special people. He had taken them from nothing. We read that again today in, in the consecutive reading in Deuteronomy. He had taken them from nothing, and he had, he had planted them in this beautiful paradise 
uh, of the promised land, and he had given them a law that they needed to follow, but they violated that law. They broke that law, and therefore God exiled them, and they were cut off. That relationship was broken, and no longer were they his people, he said, and, and no longer did he have that compassion towards them. But he was going to make a way of reconciliation. And he does so first by, by alluring them. In verse 14 of chapter 2, he allures them. And, he, and, um, and he, what he does is he shows them what, what he could offer them, this abundant life that he, was, that he could offer to his people. And they would, re they re they would respond to that in, in faith. And then they were betrothed. That was the legal ceremony where they, they legally became, uh, that relationship was restored legally. And, and then after that, God takes them and he plants them in, uh, in this land that he promised them, that he showed them through this, the door of hope. He gave them a glimpse of the life, abundant life that he could offer. After this betrothal ceremony, he goes, he prepares, he builds this kingdom that he promised, this of abundant life. And then he takes his people and he plants them in the, in the land and they dwell with him forever there. Well, we saw how all this points us to the gospel. As I said this morning, when we look at these texts like this, we're not looking through a window in to, see, to, to see how God is interacting with Israel as a nation. We're looking in a mirror to see how God is interacting with us as his people, as image bearers. And, um, and, and we, because we have broken his law. We were taken, Adam and, and Eve formed out of the dust, planted in this beautiful garden, life with God, they're given a law to obey, but they violated that law. They were exiled out of that garden and back into the wilderness, the barren wilderness, cut off from God, no access to God. But we, we saw how, that, that, how it's, it's teaching us about, the, so this passage is teaching us about ourselves. We have access back to God. We, there is a way in which God God has provided for us. He, he, he offers us eternal life in the, through the gospel, through the word here, that you can have this life, this abundant life back again. What you, what you had and what you lost by virtue of your sin, you can have it back again. And, and, um, and, and by faith by, and by grace, we accept that offer. We're betrothed. We're, we're, we're legally his, justified, we call that. Justified, legally God's and then we are planted in the land. So we're looking in a mirror. We're not looking through a window at political Israel. We're, we're, we're seeing how does this apply to us? Well, that's, that's, if you know much about the, or anything about the book of Hosea, you, you know this story between Hosea and his wife, Gomer. And she was, she was unfaithful to him. And, and we have the same story being played out in this relationship between Hosea and his bride, Gomer. He, he takes Gomer, he brings her into his household. Uh, things, things start off well, but then she becomes unfaithful, and um, we'll see how that story, uh, story takes place. But we have to, um, and we'll, we'll see how that, that story is going to, yes, it was there to teach Israel, but what they were doing to God, but ultimately it's teaching us about what we've done to God. And today we'll see that, um, the, the reconciliation of that. So, so, Hosea had married Gomer. Things started out fine. They had the child together, named Jezreel. Things were things were good. They had the, they had the intimate knowledge of one another. They things started out well. They had a child, but then 
Gomer left him, and she went for after other gods, after, or uh, other lovers, I should say, sorry, foreign, uh, other different lovers that she went with, played the harlot with, committed fornication with. She had children as a result of those relationships, and in the beginning of chapter 2, essentially, we see a court case where Hosea files for divorce, and he says, I'm going to remove my compassion, my protection, my, my mercy is what our, our English translations um, say there, that I'm going to remove that mercy from you, but that's all, everything in that word is, is what, uh, what a husband ought to be towards a wife, the care, the, the, the protector, the one who watches over, and, and he says, I'm going to remove that from you. Because, why? Lo ami, that you are no longer my people. Again, remember, this is also taking place or pointing us to God and Israel's relationship. So, so we have God cutting off Israel, but Hosea has cut off Gomer. He has divorced her, and he's left her on, on her own. Well, today we, come, we, we all see the restoration of that relationship in chapter 3. God tells, God tells Hosea that you are to take this woman back. You're to restore this relationship. And we'll see how that points us to the gospel again here. So in the, in the first two verses, we have this, the display of, unconditional, or of unconditioned love, I might say. In verse 3 to 4, we have a call to fidelity. And then verse 5, the promise of consummation. So verse 1, the Lord says to Hosea, go again. And love, this woman who's loved by a lover and is committing adultery. So Gomer here, she's, she's described as a woman who's, she's been loved by somebody else. And, and she's, she's an adulteress. The Hebrew Bible literally just, it, it, the, the King James tells it says lover here. She's loved by a lover. It just literally means she's been loved by someone else. She has, she has, uh, she's violated herself by having relations with someone other than her husband. And God says, you need to, you need to take this woman back. You need to go and love her. She is, she's, she's, from his perspective, unlovable, unworthy. And God says, you need to go love her. She's been unfaithful to him, not just, not just once, over and over again. But take her back, Hosea. Why? Why, would, why does Hosea do this? Look at the second half of the verse. Just like the love of Yahweh for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. God says, God says do this. Just like the love that I have towards Israel, the, the love that I display to Israel, that I have for Israel, is the same love that you need to show to this woman. Israel, they're unlovable. They've violated my covenant. They have, they have committed spiritual adultery over and over and over again. And they, they had the, the, the audacity, we might say, to go after other gods, to go and serve other gods. After all that, all that Yahweh had done for them in, in rescuing them out of Egypt and bringing them into this promised land, yet they dare to go after other gods. They looked to other gods, it says here. And it, and it tells us they loved the raisin cakes of the pagans there. That's a, it's an interesting reference there. There's not much indication in the Bible about what these raisin cakes indicated, although there's a reference in Isaiah. But there's something to do with, uh, with, with uh, playing a part in the religious worship of the false gods. Some, some uh, think that it had maybe perhaps it was an aphrodisiac. And... Um, which is which is could be true, seeing as there was a lot of fornication involved in Baal worship, uh, especially there, and um, that that they, they would go for is or for Baal worship 
they thought that, they believed that Baal was the god, the fertility god, that Baal could offer life. He could offer something, something better than, than Yahweh did. He, he was the one who, who gave life and the way, and because he was the storm god, which meant he brought the rain upon the, upon the land. And when the rain, uh, when the rain came, then the, then the, the crops would grow and they would have this abundant life that, so they attributed this to, to Baal. And the way that they did that, there was a lot of fornication involved in that, in the worship, because they thought they would go down to the temple, they would fornicate with, uh, with uh, the priests and the priestesses there, male and female prostitutes working at the temple of Baal, and that would please Baal, and then he would send the, he would send the rain uh, upon the land there. So that's probably what's indicated here by these raisin cakes. Something to do with that, there, um, this, the, 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 the part and parcel of the fornicating debauchery of Baal worship. But God says here, in spite of that, in spite of that, of that wickedness, I still love them. In spite of the fact that they violated my covenant, they justly deserve to be cut off forever. That was the terms of the covenant. You break the law, you are cut off forever. Justice, it, got, it was completely fair, completely right of God to cut them off. But he says, in spite of that, I still love them. And we have to ask the question, how can that, how can that be? And the answer is because God's love is, is not conditioned by something outside of who he is. I know that's a, that's a, that's a pretty heavy statement, but his, his love is not conditioned by anything outside of himself because God is infinite. We would all agree to that. God has no limits, no bounds. Nothing can, nothing can limit him. Nothing can change him. Nothing can condition who he is as a God of, of love. Nothing can, can change that. So his love cannot be limited. His love cannot be changed. His love cannot be conditioned by something outside of who he is. And we have to realize this. We've, every single one of us, has broken God's law. Every single one of us has, has violated the terms of that covenant. God made the covenant and told Adam, the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, indicating the, the knowledge of good and evil that he had written on his heart. He violated that when he, uh, by his sin, violated that term, the terms of the covenant. Every single one of us has done that. We've We've sinned against our creator. We've gone after other gods, uh, maybe not Baal, maybe not Moloch and, and Marduk, those gods, but we've served other things. Most likely it was just ourselves that we were serving, but we've done it. We've, we've fornicated. We've lied. We've cheated. We've stolen. We've coveted. We've, we, we took his name in vain. We broke every single law that God has, and we've done it over and over and over. We are just like Gomer. We're just like Israel. We, there's, there is the same. Now, outwardly, that looks different for every, every person. Young people, you might think, well, I'm not, I haven't done that much, you know, very, very bad things. That doesn't matter. It's because it's coming from the heart that is against God and a, and a heart that is sinful towards God. We've all, we're all there, but God loves you. A love that is not conditioned by what you've done in violating his, his law, but by who he is. Now, I know when we, we sometimes we, we, we get a little bit nervous when we say, think of a, of a sinner, an unsaved sinner, and, God's, and saying God loves you. But the Bible tells us that God has a special love toward mankind as his image bearers, that he is willing to accept those, uh, those back who are, who are his. Turn to Titus chapter 3 for a moment where we, we see that. 
Titus 3, uh, verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, it tells us the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards man. Love towards man in the Greek is one word, philanthropia. We still use that word today, philanthropy. Love for man. God has a, has a love for man. And what, what do we need to understand from that? Never has there been one sinner who's too sinful for, to be a recipient of God's amazing grace and, and, and a, to be a recipient of God's love. There has never been one sinner whom God says, you're too sinful for me. You have sinned too much. You violated my law too much and you are not, you, and, and I won't, you, and you cannot be a recipient of my love. God, God uh, does not say to anybody, you need to first go and make yourself a little bit better, make yourself a little bit more lovable so that I can love you. No, his love, his kindness, his mercy, his goodness does not depend on the state of the sinner. They can't because of who he is. It is, it is unconditioned love, unconditioned love, a love that, and, and, and a love that was willing to do whatever was necessary to restore that relationship. Because God's unconditioned love does not mean that he takes you back and that there aren't conditions to be met, that he just takes you back and pretends that, 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 that nothing happened. There are conditions to be met, but there are covenantal conditions that have to be met. Violating that, the covenant had consequences that needed to be met. That's, the, that's what, what um, we need to understand here. When we violated that covenant, there's consequences. And, the, and the, the Bible tells us the, the, that when we sin against God, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is not clean yourself up, not make yourself a bit more lovable. The wages of sin is death. When you've sinned, the condition that needs to be met is death. And that's what God was willing to do, to pay for those consequences himself. Back to, back to Hosea, verse, uh, chapter 3. Verse 2, so God has, God has told Hosea, go find this woman, love her in the way that I would love Israel. So, verse 2, I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. It says here he bought her. We've got to ask the question, well then, what, what happened to Gomer that she needed to be bought? Now, remember, remember what I said earlier. Go, Hosea had told Gomer, he says, I'm going to remove my compassion from you. I'm going to remove my protection from you, the, the, the mercy, the love. You're no longer my wife, removing that from you. And Gomer, Gomer didn't want it anymore either. She thought she could find it elsewhere. Turn back to chapter 2, verse 5. Their mother has played the harlot. She has conceived, she who conceived them has behaved shamefully. And she said, I'll go after my lovers who, who give me. So they give me my bread and my water and my wool and my linen, my oil and, and my drink. She thought, they'll take care of me. They'll protect me. And, and, I'll go, and I'll go to them. They'll provide for me. What Hosea is no longer willing to provide, I'm going to go find that in, uh, in my illicit lovers. There. And that's... And, but as, as soon as Hosea removed his protection from her, they turned on her. 
And no, no longer would, did, they, did they love her. Verse 7 of chapter 2, if you're still there. She'll chase her lovers, but she will not overtake them. She'll seek them, but she'll not find them. She, she'll say, I thought you loved me. I thought you were, I thought you loved me, these, these foreign illicit lovers. But she won't, she won't find them. Instead, they will, they, will, they will turn on her. And it doesn't tell us in that chapter, but there's a, at the end of chapter 4 we see that. There's other places as well that indicate that the, 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 her illicit lovers turned on her. We know specifically that's what happened to Israel. Look, turn to Lamentations chapter 1. Lamentations comes after Jeremiah chapter 1. <clears throat> the first verse and following. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow is she who is great among the nations. The princess among the provinces has become a slave. And she weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there's none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. And they have become her enemies. Judah has gone into captivity, etc. There. So Israel, we know they were, they were, went after these foreign gods. God gave them over. And those nations whose gods they served turned on them and captured them. Assyria, Babylon brought her in and, and turned on her, enslaved her instead. So it doesn't tell us, it doesn't tell us here, but but from the context, we can we can assume, we don't know who's lover who whoever the lovers were, but we can assume they've turned on her and they've made her their property now. And since Gomer has been is being compared to Israel, there's a pretty good there's a good chance that she had been going down to the Baal temple and that she had been fornicating there. She had been going down and, and fornicating with the, with the male prostitutes and the, and the male priests down at the temple of Baal. Well, once Hosea removed his, his love, his protection from her, exiled her out of, his, uh, out of his household, she wasn't under that care and protection anymore. Those priests of Baal saw that and they took her and they turned on her and now they've made her a sex slave working in the in the temple there she now she's enslaved to the very thing that she was attracted to enslaved to the very ones that she fornicated with so we can imagine hosea goes down to the temple of baal and he says i'm here for gomer and they say, oh, Gomer, we, yeah, we have her. You want to fornicate with her in, as part of your, your worship with Baal. And so that you know, Baal will bless your land. And he says, he says, no. He says, Gomer was my wife. And I love her. And I'm here to take her back. To be my wife again. And the answer is, well, that's, that's going to cost you. She belongs to us now. And because he loves her. And just like Yahweh told him to. She spends, he spends, sorry, the money to buy her, to redeem her from her captors. And it tells us that he, he bought her for 15 pieces of silver and one and a half homers of barley. Some, uh, some translations will, will, will um, translate the word lethic, which, which is translated as a half here, as more of a measure of oil um, or wine. So he, he's paying for her with silver, with barley, and with, with wine, perhaps. What's the significance of what he's what he is the, of, the, of the payment here, this, this price of, of her for her redemption. 
Well, previously, through the book and through the rest of the book and the rest of the Old Testament, the, the uh, concept of silver and gold and grain and barley and wine, it's all part of that, uh, that, uh, the abundant life that, that the Lord offered. It's, it's abundance. It's, it's life. It signifies life that, that the Lord provided. So, so for Hosea to have Gomer back as his wife, he has to make a payment out of this abundance, out of, we might say, out of his livelihood. So, um, but you can see where this is going here. For, for Yahweh, the Lord, to have his bride, for Christ to have his bride back, it cost him. Not his livelihood, not material goods, it cost him his very life. Remember what I said, covenantal conditions, the wages of sin is death, life must be given, and Christ was willing to do that. The very, so we, we, we see here, our sin has earned us death, the very thing we were attracted to. When in the Genesis narrative, when Adam and Eve eat the fruit of the tree, indicating to us the violation of the law of God, they, they saw that fruit, they, they, it, it was, it was pleasurable to the eyes and and it was it was good to taste and it was just gonna it was so attractive it was gonna fulfill something more it was gonna it promised something other than what Yahweh was offering and they took it but what happened the very thing that we were attracted to now and looked so promising and looked like it was going to fulfill some sort of some sort of of gratification to us instead turns on us and it and now it holds us in its grasp now we're enslaved to sin we're enslaved to sin and the demands of sin and our sin demands the payment of death to free us from its grasp life must be given and that's what god provides in christ the payment to free us from the bondage of sin, the thing that we went after and turned on us and enslaved us. God provides that payment. On the cross, God himself. We saw that this morning uh, briefly. We looked at that. But God himself in the person of the Son, having assumed human nature, taking our sins upon himself, paying in full the payment of his life so that we could be released from the bondage of sin. Don't don't ever lose the wonder of that, brethren. Don't ever grow cold to that gospel message that, that Christ did that in our place, condemned. He stood in our place. Again, think of Hosea. Think of Hosea going down to the temple of Baal. Where's Gomer? She's in, she's, she's in some dark, dirty back room in the back somewhere. There she is. She's stripped naked. She's, she's, she's exposed, she's dirty, she's enslaved in the sex trade as a result of her own actions. But he loves her. He loves her so much in spite of the mess she's gotten herself into. And he pays, he pays of his livelihood to have her back for himself. Again, that's what Christ did. Christ came into this broken world of darkness. And there he finds us naked, stripped bare, exposed, dirty, enslaved to the very sin that we chose and that we went after. But he loves us. He loves us so much in spite of what we got ourselves into so much that he's willing to give his very life so that he can have that relationship restored and his people back. Greater love hath no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, Jesus said, John 15, 13. 
It's just exactly like what he said in, chapter, in, uh, in verse 15 of chapter 2. Uh, sorry, not verse 15. Um, verse 19. That he would, he, would, he would do this. He would purchase his bride in this incredible act of justice and, 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 and righteousness, but yet loving kindness and mercy. That, that to, to, in order to redeem his bride, to purchase his bride for himself. Justice and mercy, that's what meets at the cross there, so that we can be freed from the power of sin, no longer forced to work in the spiritual sex trade. We've been, we've been freed from that. He purchased us. He bought us, bought us out of that. And, and, and there's then, if we understand that, there's massive ramifications for how we live our lives after that. If we've been freed out of that, we've been, we've been redeemed by the life of our Savior out of the sin that we are enslaved to, broken free of that, well then, why would we go back and dabble in that again? Why would we go back there? Look at, look at verse 3. And he says to her, You shall stay with me many days. You, uh, sorry, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, and so too will I be towards you. <clears throat> so, he buys her, takes her back. She's his. Again, she's under his care, under his protection. She's part of his household, his, his kingdom, we might say. But not right away is that relationship back to what it was at the beginning. It's not consummated right away. There's, he, he, there's, a, there's a time before it will be consummated. There's one, one uh, English version that I would probably never recommend, but it translates this verse this way. You will have to remain faithful to me, although it will be a long time before we sleep together. Now, that's not, you know, necessarily, a, you know, as literal as the text might be, but that's what's being indicated in this verse here. You will have to remain faithful to me, even though it will be a long time before we sleep together. So she's not in bondage anymore. She's, she's freed from that, but she's not to go back and, and dabble in that harlotry that she, was, uh, that she was saved from and rescued from. She needs to be faithful to her husband until that marriage is consummated, until, until they are together again. Look at verse 4. For the children of Israel, now we're, now we're back to the nation of Israel again, they will abide for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. So, so now, the, now we're looking at Israel again, and the, the analogy pointing us to, uh, to ourselves. So even though Israel is, is going to be restored back to the land again, it's going to be a very long time before they are with their king, with their leader, with the son of David on the, on the throne with them again. And it says here there's going to be no sacrifice or sacred pillar, no ephod or teraphim. There's some parallelism going on here. Sacred pillars and teraphim, those were divination tools. Those were things that were part and parcel of worship of the foreign gods, interaction with the underworld that was, that was connected to that, uh, to that the worship of these false gods. There was, um, so they're not to, and they're, they're, they're not to engage in that type of worship. They're not, to, they're not to try and communicate with the underworld, with some, with some spiritual being other than, uh, than Yahweh, their God. They are to remain faithful to Yahweh. 
But there's also, he says here, there's also not going to be um, any sacrifice, and there's not going to be any ephod. Those, were, those two things were part of uh, religious worship for the nation of Israel. They provided communion, and they provided a, an intimate access to God for Old Testament Israel. And God says, you're not, you're not going to have that. Now, there's, you're not going to have that, that, that uh, unique, intimate relationship that came via the sacrifice and via the, uh, the ephod with me right, uh, right now. You don't, you're not going to have that anymore. But they still had the law. They still had the law, and they knew what was required of them to be faithful. Just because they did not have these other ways of communication with God, they had the law. They knew what was required to be faithful. And having been freed from the slavery they now, that, that they were in, they were to live according to that law. That's where we are right now, brethren. That, that points us to ourselves. Our relationship with Yahweh is not consummated yet. We saw that in a lot more detail this morning. The relationship is consummated when we enter glory with Him. When He comes and returns for us at the end of the age. Uh, we, might, we might die before that happens and we enter what we call the intermediate state. But that final consummated state is when Christ returns to this earth. He takes his people and he plants them in the earth and they dwell with him. The veil is removed. They see him face to face and we dwell with our king in the new heaven, new earth. That's the consummation. Right now we are in this betrothal stage and what, and what is required of us is faithfulness. We are... We are to be, we have his word and, and we know what is required of us. We are to live according to that until he returns. We're to be faithful to him and to him alone. We're not to go dabble in the very sin that we've been rescued from. We would think it horrible and, and, and atrocious for Gomer after such an incredible and amazing act of love that where Hosea would go and purchase her from, from such, such a, a, a wretched situation we would think it atrocious, horrible, if she would go back, willingly go back to the temple of Baal and fornicate there again at that temple. Well, we should think it horrible that after an amazing act of love where Christ gave of his very life to rescue us from that sin, that we would go back to that again. That's why we're called to holiness. That, it's not legalism, brethren. Having been saved from that, we are to be faithful. We would not say it's legalism to, uh, for, you know, for Gomer to not go back and work at the, at the whorehouse again and say, oh, Hosea is going to love you anyways. Of course not. She belongs to him again. She, she needs to be faithful to him. Well, we belong to Christ. We are to be faithful to Christ. But here's the thing, though. We, we know that every day... We do sin. Every day we return to the whorehouse of sin. And, and it, it doesn't tell us here, but we can, just, we can imagine Gomer after this. She goes back down to the temple of Baal. And Hosea goes again. He, he, he goes down there. And he brings the receipts. And he says, she's mine. I've, I've paid. I've purchased her. She doesn't belong here anymore. And he takes her home again. And he cleans her up. Every single day, we do the same thing, brethren. That's every single day, the story is repeated. We end up at the whorehouse of sin. Christ shows up, and he brings the receipts. He, he, says, he says, paid in full. 
Those receipts say paid in full. Behold my hands and my feet and see the, the, the prints of the nails there and, and, and see the hole in my side, the receipts that he has paid in full and we are his. We no longer are held captive at that whorehouse of sin. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Lamentations 3. God, God, we, we sin. We end up at the whorehouse of Baal. It's not okay. We sh it, we, there's no, there's no, um, no one saying that's okay. We, sh we ought not to. Yet we do that. Yet Christ comes every time and says, they are mine. I don't say this so that you go out and sin. I say this so that you, you, so that you know when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who, who will love you, and he will take you back, and, and he will be faithful to you in spite of your unfaithfulness to him. That is our, that is our Christ. <clears throat> and one day he's coming, then he will take us to glory with him, into his kingdom, his household. And we will dwell with him forever. And then there will be no more sin there. There will be no, no more opportunity to, to sin and to violate that relationship. Verse 5, the consummation. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. After their restoration, Israel went, they went back into the promised land and they lived a long time without a king on the throne, many days, many years. And unfortunately, what happened when David, their king, David's greater son, Christ, when he came there, they, they rejected him and they killed him and, and they faced their final judgment because of that. Now, does that mean that this prophecy wasn't fulfilled then? Does it mean that, that, that God was wrong or that God was not true to his word? No, it's because the Old, the Old Testament tells us that this Messiah, this, this son of David who, uh, who, was, who was coming, he was going to usher in a new covenant, uh, a, a, new, uh, a new relationship. He's going to usher in the covenant that this covenant is pointing us to. And he's going to, and as, as we've been seeing all along here, that it was God's, God's plan. His, the plan of that old covenant and of God's relationship with Israel was to bring in the new covenant and God's relationship with his true bride, the church. That's, that's um, so, so it's not that God, that God was, was unfaithful to his promises. It's that it was, this promise was ultimately fulfilled in the Messiah, in Christ coming and ushering in this new covenant here. That's where we, and, and, and that's where we find ourselves today. Now, awaiting the arrival and the return of, of our Messiah. He came, he redeemed his bride from slavery, he betrothed her, he he, 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 we saw this morning, he, he promises, he guarantees that he's going to come back. Nothing's going to hinder that. He's going to, he's going to come back and he's going to, he's going to, now he's gone to prepare a place, but he's coming again. It's been many days, 2000 years ago, he left us to go and build this kingdom and he's building it right now and he's, and he's preparing it. And he's, but he's coming back. It's been many days, and we don't know how many more days it will be before he returns. But till then, 
verse, verse 3, be faithful to him. Be faithful to him as we await his return. And, and let, us, let us pursue holiness. Let us, like a, like a bride, adorning herself for the, for the bridegroom to, to return and with anticipation. Let us adorn ourselves with, with good works and sanctify, sanctification, cleaning up our lives. Yes, we do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But we, we, we adorn ourselves. We are excited for his return and, and, uh, and, and in the anticipation of his arrival. This morning, we saw that we are to be encouraged by the fact that, that we're betrothed to the Creator. Nothing can separate us from that. And we're to be, so we're to be encouraged, but we're to be excited as well at the thought of, of going to dwell with Him in this glorious new Eden-like creation that awaits us in, this, or, uh, in, in, in paradise with Him. But here we see also that we are to be faithful to Him while we wait. Don't go dabble in, the, in, the, in the, the very thing for which he died to save you from. Spurgeon, I think it's Spurgeon, says, don't trifle with the... Um, oh, I should have wrote it down instead of tried to quote it from memory. But don't trifle with the very thing that slew your best friend. And that's what we need to understand here. We are to be faithful to him. But let us, let us, let us live for him. And let us never forget that amazing act of love and compassion, faithfulness, where justice and mercy met at the cross, where Christ purchased us for himself. And an unbeliever, if you're not in Christ here now, and this goes for children, youngest to the oldest, if you do not believe, you, are, you, are, you do not belong to this kingdom, you are still apart from him. But I hope you see what, a, what a, a, a good and a loving and a merciful God this is. He's offering full and free salvation from the, uh, to, to, to those who are enslaved in their sin. He says he offers that he will free you from that. And that, as we saw this morning, that he will not just free you from that, but give you abundant life in glory. God, God loved. He, he's, he's a God of love. He loved the world. In, he, God so loved the world in John 3, 16. God loved the world in this way is, is, the, is, is, the, is the, probably the better translation. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I hope you don't find yourself here today comfortable and, and, and happy to be enslaved in, uh, in, in sin, happy to be like uh, maybe, maybe Gomer, happy to be working at, the, at the, the whorehouse of Baal. I hope you don't find yourself now like that. I hope that you see that this is bondage. I hope you have a desire to be freed from, from this and so that you might have this abundant and eternal life with him. And the way to be freed from that, the way to be, to be rescued out of that is simply to look to him for salvation. Trust that he will save you, and, and he will. That, that we can't save ourselves. We need to be freed from this, but we can't do it. We're held in bondage because of that, because of the demands of justice. But he says, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. That then, then you will get to experience the, the infinite goodness and the love of God for an eternity uh, of bliss in glory with him. 
That's, that's what eternal life is. That's what makes eternal life so, so amazing. It's not the, it's not the, the beauty of, of, a, of the, the palm trees of Eden, of a new Eden-like paradise that we live in. It's, what does the hymn writer say? The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. We're there with him experiencing the, the, an eternity of the infinite love of God. But if you choose to remain in your sin... If you think, you know, there's no need that, that, to be freed from this, I, I'm happy to, to just be here. This doesn't really feel like bondage, and, and, and you need to realize there's a time coming when that opportunity to be rescued is no longer there. And the end of that bondage leads to, to the absence of any goodness that there might be. Any of the goodness that God is offering right now, even the goodness of, of life as you know it now, there's so much goodness here. There's joy, there's friendships, there's, there's, there's happiness, there's good food, there's, there's so much goodness here yet. But there's a time coming when any goodness that, of God is removed and you're forever separated from that goodness, forever separated from anything good and you will only face bad wrath, the, the wrath of his anger against your sin and for the rejection of the Savior. Think of the Israelites. They, they, the Messiah came and they rejected him and they perished in the most, as a nation, perished in the most horrific way in 70 AD when the Romans descended upon Jerusalem. You can read the account in Josephus. Horrible, horrible things that are unimaginable unimaginable millions and millions of people thrown into the fires of Gehenna in the valley of Hinnom there their bodies burning and smoldering well what did Jesus say hell is worse than that the fire never burns out the worms the maggots never never die it's continual eternal death that awaits those who reject the Messiah heaven Heaven is described in the Bible as, as no sadness, no crying, no pain, no sorrow. It's pure bliss. Well, well, hell is the opposite of that. It's the removal of, any, of anything good. It's only sadness. It's only crying, only pain, only sorrow. It's pure. It's terror. Hell is real. Hell is, hell is a place that you go to experience what the absolute absence of any goodness looks like. Right now, as I said, you experience a lot of God's goodness. But in hell, it, there, is, there is no goodness. The world, the world says hell ain't a bad place to be. The world says all my friends are going to be there, there too. But that is an utter lie. There, there's no such thing as a friend in hell. Hell, because a friend is a good thing. In hell, there is no goodness. I understand that. Make no delay. Flee to the Savior while there's hope. Stop playing games. You're gambling with your with your soul, your life for eternity. You're thinking that you're gonna that you some, God how some God somehow deserves to give you one more day to live and then another day and then another day. You don't deserve that. And stop gambling with your with your eternity. Today is that day of salvation. Trust in Him. Look to Him. And He will deliver you from the bondage that you're in. Realize you are in bondage that leads to absolute destruction. Look to him. He will deliver you from that. Then go on your way rejoicing. Your, your relationship with your maker has been restored and you're bound for glory. Be, be excited, be encouraged, and be faithful. Let's close there in prayer. <clears throat> oh Lord, we, we thank you for 
this passage of Scripture again, and what a glorious display of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that we find here in the life of Hosea. Lord, I pray that you would take this message and that you would press it on our hearts, that we would, that we would be encouraged, that we would be excited, and that we would be, uh, again, given a, a new resolve to be holy, to walk in holiness, to be faithful to you, Lord, while we await your return, where we get to go to enter into glory with you. Lord, I pray that that if there be sinners here who are unsaved, that are still in the, in the bondage of sins, in the whorehouse of sin, Lord, that you would, that you would press it upon their hearts to see that reality, that, that, that there is utter destruction coming their way. But today there is the offer of rescue from that and that they would see that Christ is that only way and that they would trust in him and him alone to free them from their sin, Lord, and that, and that you would draw them to you and that they would, they would come willingly, may, having been made willing, and that you would save them to the uttermost, and that they would leave here, go on your way, rejoicing, for your sins have been forgiven. And Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.